Tuzman and you're back on equal footing. We've been tackling some difficult subjects lately. I've just wanted to keep going deeper and deeper. Our producer has been encouraging it. Here we go. The show tonight we've entitled I Am Woman. It's about lesbian and queer experiences in the Orthodox Jewish community. Now, before I introduce our guests, let's, let's take a moment and talk about some of the way this top, the, the ways this topic has kind of been introduced in the public consciousness. Over the last, I would say since, uh, the year 2001, probably, there was a documentary called Trembling, Trembling Before God, I think it was called, that was the first time that you had this issue of particularly um, lesbian and queer identity in Orthodox Jewish communities brought into the public square. And I would say the general theme, and you can find the documentary on most major platforms, the general theme was a feeling of um, self-discovery in the journey from a community that did not accept a gay life to the the acceptance in other communities outside of the Orthodox Jewish community, and then an attendant resentment towards the Orthodox Jewish communities that those people came from. And so this this has been, if you look at the academic literature, if you look in fact a lot at the religious commentary, this is a this is a theme, the reconciliation of Jewish life and sexual identity that seem often to be in conflict. Most recently, you have, I would say, kind of a danuma or a maturation of that position in the in the recent movie Disobedience, uh, kind of a star-studded cast. Many have probably seen it from 2018. Rachel Weisz was in it, for example. That that is about a love story between two women within the Orthodox Jewish community. One who seems to have come to more peace internally around the reconciliation of their sexual identity with their religious background, and another who's uh, who, who's at a different place in, in that journey. But the theme, again, continues to be about to find a peaceful place uh, in sexual identity and family life. It seems that folks have had to leave the community. So having said that, let's challenge the assumption. Let's 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 see if that that holds for our guests tonight, not on the small or big screen, but here in studio, live from the heart. I want to introduce two guests here in studio. Shandy Weichman. I did it. The CH. Shandy Weichman. She's a visual artist and community activist. She's contributed to the Unhomeless uh, NYC website. Shandy grew up in Williamsburg. We're in Sheepshead Bay here, so not so far away, in an ultra-Orthodox Hasidic community. By the time she was 19 years old, she was already a wife and a mother. And at the start of a four-year-long custody battle, she was made homeless by a court order in which she had to leave her home. She also sought to be granted the right to enroll her son in a school that provided students with basic secular education. Unlike the ultra-Orthodox yeshiva, he had been attending since the age of three. Despite ultimately losing that custody battle and the right to change her son's school, today Shindy is a strong advocate for her community's right and access to basic secular education as a parent ambassador with YAFED, which stands for Young Advocates for Fair Education. Check it out, yafed.org, Y-A-F-F-E-D.org. Shindy is a 2020 recipient of the Armstrong and Dorothy Lim Award in Photography. And she helped initiate a project in Jerusalem for LGBTQ women called Shabbat Shelech that aims to create queer Jewish community around the Shabbat. No, I got that wrong. I got that wrong. That's Esther. I apologize. So, Shindy, welcome to Equal Footing. Thanks for being on and and being in studio. It's great to be here. 
Esther, I, I guess now I've teased at your bio. You're also here in the studio. I'm looking at you. Esther Eckhouse is a Brooklyn native. She's lived in Jerusalem for many years, recently back in the United States. I think that was a pandemic return. She's a writer, both creatively and professionally. Her favorite top topics to write and talk about include spirituality, philosophy, relationships, self-development. She has her bachelor's in philosophy and literature. Esther grew up in an Orthodox community, uh, also here in Brooklyn and Crown Heights, and throughout her journey, she's always tried to integrate her diverse identities and passions, which I got at the outset of the show. Can we reconcile a gay life, a lesbian life, a queer life with our religious observance or our spiritual life in the Jewish world? And here's what I should have said attached to <laughs> Esther's bio. Esther's helped initiate a project in Jerusalem. That makes sense, because Shindy, I didn't hear your bio, you lived in Jerusalem. For LGBTQ women called Shabbat Shelach that aims to create queer Jewish community around the Shabbat table. Sounds very cool. Esther, welcome to the studio. Thank you for having me. On the phone line, we have a repeat guest. Been on Equal Footing before, Rachel Klachewski. Rachel received her Master's of Social Work from NYU and a Master's in Human Sexuality Education at Widener University. Rachel has a practice, a therapeutic practice in FIDI in downtown Manhattan and works for a sex positive clinic in Huntington Long, Huntington, Long Island. The focus of Rachel's therapeutic practice includes existential struggles. Rachel, I need, I need help. I got it. It's existential struggles. LGB queer identities, couples, open relationships, sexual dysfunction, confronting sexual shame, depression, and anxiety. Rachel is currently co-hosting a sex education podcast called Sexistential You. Check it out. Very cool. Sexistential and then the letter U with Janice Luna and can be heard monthly on Sirius XM's Insights channel discussing sexuality and interpersonal relationships. Rachel, thanks for being on equal footing and being willing to talk about this from a therapeutic slash academic perspective as well as from a lived experience perspective. I'm glad to be back. Um, just some addendum. Some of some of that stuff is no longer happening. I'm no longer going on Sirius XM, um, but I have contributed quite often over there when I was attending. Gotcha. Well, I hope we can. You'll 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 tell us in in the show notes. We'll include where we can hear you now or in the in the future. Let, let's let's in our first segment here uh, before the first uh, break. Get a couple things out of the table. This show tonight is not going to be about the halacha of homosexuality. Plenty to talk about. Interesting, for example, that lesbianism was really, for most of our 3,000-year history as Jews, kind of not really commented on. <laughs> In Leviticus, we have comments on on uh, male um, male homosexuality, and then centuries later, in a commentary to Leviticus, you see the first commentary on on homoerotic um, uh, instance or homoerotic behavior, I guess, between women, but really very little from a Jewish law perspective. We're going to get into that possibly as soon as next week, actually. So not that we're shy about talking about anything here on Equal Footing, but we want to talk more tonight about lived experience and not pretend for any listeners are already taking out their, their metaphorical pen and sending it through uh, hate mail. We're not pretending here to talk about halacha, or even really Jewish ethics. We're talking about experience. Now, to set the stage in terms of experience, I want to start, Shandy, by asking you, each of you here, and starting with you, Shandy, how you currently identify from a sexual identity perspective and how that's changed since you, I guess, were raised within within an ultra-Orthodox community. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I'll start out by first saying that I was raised without any sex education. So there was no language for sex. Um, definitely no language for anything queer, lesbian, gay. I didn't even know, I don't think I knew that this existed as a concept. <laughs> um, uh, which made my early sexual experiences quite confusing. Um, I currently identify as queer, but initially after under coming to understand that gay and lesbians exist in my early 20s, um, I identify as lesbian, and then throughout the years learning more that, you know, sexuality is fluid, um, and learning more about different sexes and different genders and all the 
colorful things that comes with being a human, um, I've become more like sexuality and, you know, gender is so fluid. You can be one thing one day and one thing another day, and I think that's beautiful. How old were you when you first had an experience that you would qualify in, although in the absence of sex education, as something that wasn't straight? I think I was 16, and I had absolutely no idea what was happening or what language to put to it. So and t- so today on this program, I would when in terms of your identification, queer would be how you identify in in, in a in a sexual it's actually fluid. Yes, absolutely. That's uh, the that's the way. I hate labels, but that's the thing that I feel most comfortable using. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I have a fantastic radio voice. Wow. Thank you, Esther. How about you? How do you identify today? How is that different from? Uh, the way you identified or perhaps were told to identify growing up in an Orthodox community? Um, yeah, I also don't really enjoy labels, but on a technical term, I would say that I'm lesbian. Um, I probably knew that from around the age 13. Um, I don't think I could have labeled it at that point, but I was in an all-girls school, and I'm a hopeless romantic, so it became pretty clear pretty fast. Um, And, I mean, the way that you are told to think about your sexuality in an Orthodox community is always going to be in terms of heterosexual um, relationships. So even as I got older, I did kind of try to you know, lean into that a little bit, see if I could kind of try, see if I could find any interest there, but um, nothing doing. <laughs> and Esther, you, you grew up in a, in a Lubavitch community, right? Yeah. In a Chabad community. Yeah. And, and Shandy, you in a, in, a, in a Hasidish, but more ultra-Orthodox community in Williamsburg, just so listeners can kind of, mm-hmm. does I have that right? I think mm-hmm. it's basically the same thing, just different mentality slash vibe. We're both yeah. Hasidish communities, sure. just different Hasidish, but yeah. Yeah. Rachel, uh, if you could maybe take off your therapist hat for a moment and just from your personal lived experiences, mm-hmm. how, how do you, how do you identify today? How is that different than, than that you, you, you did prior to some dis- internal discovery or the way the community that, that you were brought up in told you to be? Yeah. So I had kind of a dichotomous upbringing in that I grew up in a modern Orthodox community. We were, I went to the Yeshiva Flatbush. Um, so we had access to the secular world, just like anyone else who's living in it. Um, and my home was more like aspiring to be that orthodox, but not as practicing um, within that orthodoxy. So sexuality and, you know, any discussion on, on what is considered moral um, in Judaism followed suit. With, with orthodoxy, even though we weren't practicing similarly at home. And so it was understood that it was wrong and bad, and it never occurred to me that I could be anything but straight, although I was. Um, I currently identify as queer. Um, I had learned very early on that I was attracted to girls. And then as soon as I had my first crush on a boy, I was like, oh, that was just a phase. Uh, because the concept of bisexuality was so, like, unheard of, even in the secular world, <laughs> they weren't talking about it. Um, the old adage is buy now, gay later, right? Um, that people felt more comfortable identifying with bisexuality to appease their family and appease the naysayers until they eventually came out as gay. So I didn't even have the concept of bisexuality until much later on. And today I identify as queer because it's a more fluid and additionally a political identity, um, one that takes back the slur that was thrown at queer people, right. at gay people, when you know back in the 50s and 60s. Rachel, when was your kind of discovery, or when did that begin uh, in, in your teen years? I would imagine, but when, if you could, if you could point, if you could point to a specific moment in the calendar when when did that start for you that journey it's interesting that you say that because there was this constant knowing that i was different from from a very young age must have been 
I could identify right around six years old. I kind of knew that there was something different about me. And I kept trying to find the reasons and confirming random superficial things that made me different. Um, it started really showing up as language was becoming available to me. Um, so that was around 14, which is when I got on the Internet. Um, and I started finding a lot of validation and confirmation for everything that I was going through. Um, and one of the things that I think the three of us recognize is, you know, knowledge of queerdom isn't what made us queer. Right. right? We, we were queer all along. Um, nobody spoke to us about it. Nobody validated it. Nobody said that we can be. In fact, it was consistently the opposite. But we were regardless of exposure to the information. Yeah, let's do a little bit of table setting. I mean, there's there's a consensus in the uh, Orthodox community uh, that that uh, homosexuality is inconsistent with um, with with Jewish life. Again, often be- based in Leviticus and and references to male sexual intercourse. It is important, however, just for folks that are listening, perhaps that are non-Jewish or or are thinking that we're conflating different. Uh, parts of the community, um, there's, it's been a subject of much more contention within modern Jewish denominations. And in fact, uh, even, even in the conservative movement, certainly in the reconstructionist and reform Judaic movements in the United States, there's general acceptance, um, that, that gay life is in fact perfectly consistent, uh, with religious life. So I do want to just, just to have the caveat out there to listeners that think that we're conflating. We're talking tonight specifically about the Orthodox experience. Esther, I didn't ask you if you could, could you point to a, a moment or a year in your life in which that, that, that journey began, or did you also have that ever knowing sense that Rachel described? I think it was probably more ever knowing, but I would say it is, it started around the time of teenagehood where I think most people start to become aware of their sexuality. So right. whether I felt different or not beforehand, it wasn't so much around my sexuality, whereas beginning Teenagehood definitely brought it up to the forefront. Yeah, and there was a, a Pew Institute uh, study from 2013. is probably the broadest of its kind that is, that talked about that that addressed the coming out process and um, found that that 12 years old was the median age at which LGBTQ adults first felt they might be something other than heterosexual or straight. Uh, however, for those who say later in life that they know for sure that they're LGBTQ. That realization came at a median age of 17. And I think that's interesting just talking to, to you guys because then there's that, that five year gap. I'm just thinking of what happened in my life between 12 and 17. That's a big gap to have that sense of potentially confusion or, or lack of acceptance. Yeah, definitely. We're going to take our first break. We're going to come back here with Shindy Weichman, Esther Eckhaus and Rachel Klachewski. I am woman talking about lesbian and queer lives in the orthodox jewish context we'll be right back equal footing is brought to you in part by docuvax DocuVax is a very cool service. You can access it on your smartphone, either your iPhone or your Android device in the App Store by going to DocuVax, D-O-C-U-V-A-X. It's a medical record storage system. It allows you to put in there all of your medical information like immunization records, x-ray, MRI uh, results, serology results, blood tests, etc., even uh, allergy information. You know, I'm a pet owner, as regular listeners of Equal Footing know, and I get reminders of when my dog needs to get a new, uh, get a vaccination booster or when he needs to get a checkup, but I don't get a reminder about that for me. <laughs> uh, and I think that that's uh, something that needs to change. Check out DocuVax. It's a way for you to easily organize your medical information and get easy references to other doctors without having to pay for a visit to your general practitioner. So as a DocuVax subscriber, medical professionals, nurses and doctors are on call for you 24 hours a day to validate the vaccine records, blood tests, or anything else that you put 
in your medical locker. And DocuVax uses a proprietary QR code based system, keeps your data secure at all times and allows you to immediately share your medical information or parts of your medical information with a school, with an airline, with a concert venue, with another doctor, whatever's needed. The government does not own your medical information. Your insurance company does not own your medical information. Even your doctor needs to have access to it, but does not own it. You own it. You should control it. Take control of your medical file. Sign up at DocuVax, either by downloading the app. As little as $6.99 per month, you can privately access all of your medical records. It's secure. It's HIPAA compliant. And you can also sign up online at DocuVax.com. And if you're a small or medium-sized business and you want to uh, provide this as a benefit, like a gym membership, to your employees, you can get group discounts by mentioning that you heard about DocuVax on the Equal Footing radio program and calling 833-859-1933. That's 833-859-1933. DocuVax. Operators are standing by. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on I've You're back on Equal Footing, and we're talking about the lesbian and queer experience in the Orthodox Jewish community. Esther, you talk to a, a little, talk to us a little bit more about your experience. You you were married to a woman for some mm-hmm. time. You're you're now divorced. Uh, do you feel that you have a spiritual home in the Orthodox community or have you, do you feel like you've had to kind of make a break in order to live your life in a consistent way? I think a little bit of both, honestly. Um, I think whenever you grow up with a certain culture and tradition, there's always a sense of nostalgia and attachment to it. But at the same time, I have needed to kind of go off on my own and find my own place, my own spirituality, my own kind of traditions that work for my life. So I'm always trying to see how I can infuse the traditions that I grew up with, with my own personal experiences, with my own um, spirituality, my own understanding of of God, of, of Judaism, of myself. Um, Was it, it easier to be lesbian and and Jewish in Israel or here in New York? It was for me it was easier in Israel only because I happened to have been part of a really wonderful community that was really diverse and really open-minded um and my ex-wife and I were able to kind of build a community there that included lots of different kinds of people um so we were able to have we were able to have both. Whereas here, I think the religious communities are a little bit more black and white, a little bit more sectioned off, maybe from a fear of assimilation. Um, especially the Orthodox communities here are are much more kind of close knit. Whereas my experience, at least in Israel, was the ability to find communities that had a blend of people. Um, where I didn't have to choose so clearly whether to be in a community or outside of it. Right now, Esther, would you, if someone asks you, uh, are you Orthodox? Is it, you you raised Orthodox today. Are you Orthodox? I'm religious. Um, I'm very spiritual. Um, I don't think that I could technically use the term Orthodox, no. But I do see myself as part of the community still. And is the reason you don't feel comfortable using the term Orthodox as a self-denomination because you're gay or unrelated? Um, Unrelated. I think that they are related in terms of my journey of getting to where I am now and needing to find my place. And that's not always in the Orthodox community. Um, But it's also my own personal observance at this point, too. Participate in our conversation here with Rachel Klachewski, Esther Eckhouse, and Shane D. Weichman on the queer and lesbian experience in Orthodox Jewish communities. You can call 718-303-9090 to participate live on air, which you can do so naming your name or anonymously, 718-303-9090. Please call with your questions and comments and your lived experience. 
If you're shy about being on the air, you can also text or WhatsApp a comment or question to any of our guests on this issue, 917-428-4062 is the number to call, uh, to uh, text or WhatsApp a, a question or comment, and that's 917-428-4062. Say it now. Don't tell me after the program is over. You know who I'm talking to here. I get this, these comments after. How could you talk about this on the air? You should have said this. You should have quoted that. You missed that. Tell me right now. Text it or, or call in and tell us. Rachel, how would you, yes. <laughs> how do you denominate yourself religiously today? If someone says, are you modern orthodox? Are you, I know all of you, all of you that I share this don't like labels very much, but, uh, how would you, how would you self-denominate religiously within the Jewish world today? It's really interesting because I, <laughs> I am culturally Jewish. Um, I have connections to Judaism that run super deep. I am very academically inclined. I'm in constant, you know, learning. I'm always learning, whether it's for my field, to understand people. But I do this. I'm in the process of doing something called decolonizing Judaism, which is the idea of kind of like removing the lens of or like the influence of Christianity on our faith, on on how Judaism has formed over the years, uh, you know, in some way to assimilate in in the exile. And do you think Christianity um, has a particular uh, influence on Judaic ethics as it relates to gay life? Absolutely. Tell us. Absolutely. So much of our sexuality has been um, shifted and changed to accommodate Christian ideology. Um, as you've mentioned a few times, lesbianism isn't even discussed in in the Torah. And on top of that, the statements about gay male sexuality is a man shall not lie with another man as he would with a woman. And if we recognize the Torah as like none of these words are are frivolous, we need to understand how we just landed on this point of homosexuality that is just so rigid um, without recognizing what that second statement means. And and when we look at relationships in the Tanakh, I mean, the most romantic text is from a man to another man. Well, we'll, we're, um, next week we're, we're gonna, we'll, we'll want to have you back on on uh, halacha and our sacred <laughs> texts as it relates relates to this. But in, it, tell us on on a on a personal uh, level uh, how how you feel. Uh, how, how do you identify religiously, and, and do you, is that now perfectly consistent given that decolonization that you described with being queer? Yeah, it's that it is that decolonization. I like to take ownership of my choices and how I live my life. And Judaism has a massive influence on who I am. I am, you know, my parents and grandparents and everyone, you know, in my family is Jewish. I'm not going to abandon that. It's part of my genetics. It's it's part of my life. And I'm going to honor that in the way that feels connected to my lived experience and all the intergenerational trauma and learning that came from that. And so in redefining my queerness, I also redefined my Judaism. And mm. it's, it would not fall in line with any of the denominations. It's just my own and my own way of navigating identity and, and choice, essentially. Shandy, do you, do you have a struggle between your, uh, sexual and religious identity? How do you identify religiously now? And do you feel it's consistent with being queer? Huh. I don't have a straight answer for you. Um, I, I, I'm very frigid in the whole religious area. Like, I have a lot of distance between that and myself. So I can't say anything substantial about integrating, you know, queerness and Judaism at this point because they're very separate for me. Um, I don't know if 
I mean, I do believe, obviously, it's possible, right, to be queer and to be religious. A lot of people are doing it. Um, but for myself, there's a lot of angst and turmoil. So there's still there's still that tension. There's that, tension that about more the about the, the religious part than about the queer part. There's right. much more tension and angst in dealing with the religious part of how I was raised and who I want to be if I want to be religious. Yeah, was, what came to mind there, I hope you don't mind me saying, is like queer is what you are, religious is what you might aspire to be. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're different journeys, right? Yes. And this idea that there has been an idea in Orthodox Judaism that queer isn't what you are. It's something that's a phase. It's something that can be rooted out. And I'm wondering if any of you would be willing to without you know name shaming a particular organization help listeners understand the 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 panorama a little bit there are organizations or efforts out there to effectively convert people so to speak from uh from being queer or gay uh in in the communities i don't know you know rachel as a therapist you must come across that what what exists out there in this sense where the orthodox community or or organizations within the community are 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 denying what people are and, and trying to change them. Yeah. So modeled after a lot of Christian organizations, uh, there are Jewish organizations that do what's called conversion therapy, um, which as of like 2018 is illegal, um, you know, for anybody who's younger than 18. So you cannot do it to children. Um, and one of the reasons is because it is highly abusive. Uh, there are several court cases against some of these organizations for for the very physical and sexual abuse that had been imposed upon people who were forced to attend. Some people went there willingly out of desperation to want to be straight, to want to be able to have the life that, that they were told is the only way that they can be part of that world. And, you know, Shandy, what you're describing, that, that pain, you know, I think about it in through all of the lens of my own experience and my client's experience where Judaism was used to weaponize us against our God, right? Like we were, we were told that we were bad and wrong and, and it was Judaism that was, you know, being placed to blame on that. And that had nothing to do with Judaism. It had to do with the community mm-hmm. that was creating that harm. There's a refrain. And so it's very hard. There's a refrain that yeah. we found in the uh, pregame research for this show of, I don't fear God, I fear God's people. Mm-hmm. And this ongoing yeah. feeling within the community that it, they don't feel judged by Hashem or feel like they can't have a, a, a deep and equally meaningful relationship with Hashem as anyone who's straight. It's the relationship with folks that claim to be following Hashem in the, in the community. That's really part of what we're, what we're getting at here. And I don't know if any of you have heard of this, but in some of the research for the show as well, we came across um, these efforts in, in Israel. I don't know if this is going on in the United States where there are actually uh, Orthodox rabbis who are trying to um, get uh, Orthodox uh, Jewish gay men to be uh, married to Orthodox uh, lesbian and queer women so that as a solution, so to speak, which sounds like an absolutely horrible solution. Um, but you know, there's, there's some pretty, there's pretty banana stuff out there. Um, that, that you all, it's actually not that unheard of. Okay. That's even more disturbing. In, in, in earlier American history, um, we have something called lavender marriages, which were, you know, gay men and lesbians marrying each other to be able to maintain the status and the protection that marriage allots them. Um, of course, the, the flip side of that is that it it kind of left people very vulnerable to a lot of abusive behavior, and they had to still keep their lives secret. Um, in this setup, in, in the Orthodox communities, perceiving that as a solution, it's really short-sighted. Um, it's not taking into account the emotional and lived experience and, and the sexual trauma that can be imposed upon the folks that are agreeing to this out of desperation. And it can be and it more, does break up I, sorry for the interruption, I think it can be even more isolating and traumatic when you're in a community that doesn't have a natural support system. And we have a, a number of text comments and questions. Before I go to our, 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 our next break, I want to read 
uh, one uh, from uh, Chaya. Uh, this is is clearly said that it's not her real name, and uh, the comment goes as follows. I would lose everything if I came out. We are a tightly knit community, and I think few people realize just how isolated we are. In the world I live in, being gay is the equivalent of being a bad person. It's seen as an evil desire that is completely unnatural. People I have grown up with would wonder what else I could be capable of. Few would believe that I could still be religious, and if I did eventually leave the Haredi community, it would mean losing my job, my home, and potentially my children. It's just easier for everyone to pretend that there is nothing different about me. That breaks my heart. Yeah, mine too. That breaks my heart because there's not, there aren't enough resources. Even, you know, there just isn't enough available for someone in Chaya's position. And it's not a shock that girls are encouraged to get married so young and have children so young that they are essentially trapped in that space. Yeah, that that before uh, they can even actualize themselves. This is just going to echo in in my consciousness this statement that she ends with. It's just easier for everyone to pretend that there is nothing different about me. Uh, God bless that person on their journey. We'll be right back on equal footing, talking about the lesbian and queer experience in Orthodox Jewish communities. And I'm Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. Dove Tuzman, you're back on Equal Footing, here with Esther Eckhouse, Shindy Weichman, and Rachel Klachewski, talking about lesbian and queer life in the Orthodox Jewish community. Keep these comments and questions coming in. I'm going to give the number again, because we're getting a bunch of them, 917-428-4062, if you want to text in a comment or question, or send it in via WhatsApp, even better, because that's up on my screen here in the studio, 917-428-4062. 4062. If you want to call in and hear your voice on either with your name or anonymously, 718-303-9090 to call in, 718-303-9090. Shoshana Langsam writes in after hearing that last sharing from Chaya. She's from Brooklyn, and she says, I left orthodoxy over a year ago, and I came out as gay. I lost my entire family, and I was told I needed to repent for being gay and not knowing what is right. Now, I am in an amazing relationship, and my family, when I do speak to them on the occasion, on on a small occasion, will never even ask about her. They would rather me be in pain, sorry, yeah, they rather that I would be in pain with my ex-husband and share that pain with them, and my family cannot see me happy this sense of not being seen deep this must rachel in your therapeutic practice and you work with a number of women in the orthodox community that are traversing this journey is this is this the narrative that you hear that that you that of just this this sounds horrible of just being completely unseen and what must feel like being unloved yeah um the thing is, we, we live in this assumption that our parents are supposed to protect us and care for us, no matter what. And over here, they're saying, well, there isn't a no matter what. Uh, there's a caveat to that love. And that love will run out if you don't follow 
our roles and what we want from you. And that's, that is a very um, conditional experience and it bleeds into so many dynamics. Most of my clients that had left Orthodox communities um, had suffered several abusive relationships afterwards because it was so familiar to them from their own upbringing, not realizing how abusive their upbringing was with this with this premise of there's a condition to your acceptance right. in our family. Shandy, did you ever in the Orthodox community, uh, I know you felt unseen. You've talked a little bit about that on the program and in other conversations prior. Was there a moment from within the community in, in which you felt deeply seen and loved that was unexpected? Has that ever happened? Uh, that's a great question, Dove. Um, I think I felt unseen because I was hiding so much. When you're in a position or space or even relationship where you don't feel normal or safe, you're so busy hiding, then of course people can't see you. And then hmm. obviously you would never say, oh, I had a love affair with a woman, right? You would never say that. Um I mean, you know, I keep, I keep hearing Kaya's comment in my head. And she's not wrong with the way she says, I will lose everything and it's better to just be ignored. And she's right. Live in perpetual hiding. Yes, it's safer. But there's also so much joy coming out from there and so much opportunity. I mean, I, you know... Think of Chaya's comment and Shoshana's comment, and they seem so different, right? But for me, I kind of live in the in-between of both of those experiences. A part of me is like, yeah, Chaya, stay there. It's much safer. You'll have your kids. You'll have your community. You'll never feel part of it entirely because you're hiding a part of yourself, but you have the safety. And then I think to myself, and I'm like, but I never would have had the experiences I have had over the past 70 years if I wouldn't have left or been pushed out or whatever it is, but I live with tremendous amounts of pain. Mm. Um, not so much isolated from my community. That's not it. Just the fact that I couldn't exist there as I was. That is my pain. I I think that... That's what we talked about at the outset, this reconciliation between the religious life that we were brought up with and feeling like there's a sense of loss I, of that because... You come out as gay or, or, or anything or, or you come out as anything as who right, anything you are. Doesn't fit. Right. Yeah. So I, I wish that I can infuse young people everywhere with boldness instead of fear. We live with so much fear that the fear keeps us from being able to make choices. And every choice obviously mm-hmm. has like a reaction, right? Or a consequence. But if we take away the fear, there's more space to meet the consequence with a better level head or with a better reaction than with a fear. The fear takes away our ability to navigate life, to make the bold choices and to stay, stay where you are, stay in your community, show up as you are. You don't have to leave, but people are so afraid that they choose to either not take the bold choices and stay quiet or leave. And there's a tremendous loss in both instances. What organizations, we talked about efforts that are kind of on what I would think of as the wrong side of the coin, um, but what organizations are there to help people take that leap, that bold leap to step out of fear? I don't know, Esther or Shandy, if either of you have coming from, I'm just referring to you instead of Rachel, because both of you are coming from more traditional ultra-Orthodox or Orthodox communities. Um, Esther, was there an organization that helped you along the way or that has helped others that you know have traversed a similar path? Um, I know of organizations just by second hand. They weren't part of my experience. I know there's Footsteps or JQI. Um, you were mentioning before Eschel. Yeah, Eschel was a, Eschel was my first form of contact with other queer what, Jewish what's people. Eschel? Eschel is a queer Jewish Orthodox, um, group, organization, community of people who are living religious queer lives. It is mind-blowing to me mm-hmm. because I can't see myself right now living that life, but it's also kind of hopeful in a way. You know, you see 
families living Jewish lives and also being queer, and I think that that's beautiful. And JQI, Esther, you mentioned? It's Jewish Queer Youth. So it's more oh, for JQI. teenagers, and um, which, honestly, teenagers are the people who need the most support mm-hmm. because they're usually still in their parents' homes mm-hmm. and living very, very secretly, um, and they don't have as much freedom as adults who can kind of just go live their life. Yeah, the cool mm-hmm. thing about JQY, though, is that they actually started out with, like, 2030s age. Oh, I remember yeah. when I was yeah. first coming out, I was, like, invited to speak on their panel about my own experience. And then in the last, like, five years, maybe, they've been really catering to 15-, 16-year-olds. Yeah. And just seeing that is gives me so much hope. And we know from sociological and psychological research that that's when the discovery yep. is taking place. As we talked mm-hmm. about earlier in the program, is in yep. your early teen years and mid-teen years. Rachel, any organizations that you would add based on your therapeutic uh, work that are that are helpful? We've talked about Footsteps, JQY, Eschel. No, those are the ones that I directly uh, interacted with. JQI was the, the first organization that I worked with, and Footsteps after that. Um, only indirectly. I never worked directly with Footsteps, but I do work with many professionals who are currently working at Footsteps. Uh, what I love about that is that they provide you so many services, um, legal help, uh, community. They teach classes because some people leave these communities without the ability to speak English properly. And so many, I kind of like to call them footsteps graduates, um, you know, have thriving careers and have been able to get their children. But that that is, you know, one of the nicer stories, right? That's not always the case. Um, yeah, and I think and that- it, it's, it's a painful and scary choice, but a very worthwhile one when you get to be actualized in this very short and long life that we have. I think it's important for listeners to hear your your lived experience and the fact there are numerous organizations out there. I think it's become a little bit tropish based, based on presentation of this topic of uh, queer and, and, and lesbian life in the Orthodox community um, as if it's always the same model where there's like uh, a, a secret love story and folks need to kind of figure out how to leave the community and be safe and leaving and so forth. And I'm sure that is a, 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 a real narrative, but then there's this other, to me, a deeper narrative to someone who lives, I haven't said in the program because it's not my place to share, but I live very closely to this issue in my familial life and my parenting life and so forth. And I feel there's another narrative that to me feels more pervasive and more real, which is how do we, it's not about leaving the community. It's about being in the community in a holistic and reconciled way. And so I applaud all of you for, um, for, for, for doing either doing that or, or acknowledging that Shane D you're not ready to do that in certain respects. I mean, I kind of am, my son is religious. And so that amazing? Yeah. we show up as we are. I show up non-religious. He shows up religious. And I think it's a, kind of a mind boggle to a lot of people when they see us. Yeah. So it's another way of existing as you are. And I, I am very proud of him for, you know, just being comfortable with who I am. And it's a learning journey, very difficult. Beautiful. Um, but many times I stop and wonder and I'm like, wow, you know, my son and I can show up in these spaces as we are individually. My son and I can have these conversations despite the world that he lives in, and it's not a pretty world. And at the end of the day, a Jew is a Jew is a Jew. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be right back on Equal Footing. Is our producer not a star for picking, like, Perfect music. You know it's working when the guests are, are rocking out in the studio. Equal Footing is also brought to you by Mechanical Art Capital. Mechanical Art Capital offers two-day financing to watch collectors and watch dealers from anywhere in the world. Unlock the cash value of your collection or inventory through Mechanical Art Capital's buyback contracts. It's super easy. 
You can get cash in only one to two days. Download on your iPhone or Android device the Mechanical Art Capital app. That's Mechanical space Art space Capital. You can quickly get an appraisal of your timepieces. The app will show you how to raise cash cash from the watches you had appraised. You can use that for insurance or to get cash for some other purpose. You can also call Mechanical Art Capital at 833-209-0972. That's 833-209-0972. And you can also go to the website, mechanicalartcapital.com. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on We're I've back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman here in studio with Esther Eckhaus and Shindy Weichman. On the line is Rachel Klachewski. I wish this conversation could go for another hour or two. Uh, there's a lot of questions and comments. We're not going to be able to get all to all them texting, people texting it. I understand on this, on this way, we're not getting as many calls because I think this is a, this is a tough topic for people to address. Okay. Let's go around the, around the, the real room and the meta and the, uh, the metaphysical room, including Rachel on the phone line with a couple of these questions. So I think this one's best for you, Shandy, because you just talked about the relationship with your son. And this is a, a listener asking a very personal question about how, um, she can explain to her religious kids that she's gay and living with a woman. Ah, it's such a difficult question because there's so many aspects of the life that I don't know. And Rachel, feel free to chime in. I imagine this is a question you get from your clients. Starting, starting to talk generally about people and relationships and families. I started very young with my son. Um, I would tell him that some families have two parents that are both male, both female. Some people live with grandparents. I started to widen his understanding of what family was because in most communities... How old was he when you first had the conversation? um, He was in the vicinity of six, seven, eight. Mm, But even if your children are older or younger, conversations that pertain to other people are always easier to take in than conversations that apply to you or them. Um, I often encourage people to use props when talking about a difficult issue, like little toy people. Um, But there are so many amazing books out there. Um, Just do a quick search and see alternative family lifestyles. Um, There's so many incredible books, and I would start with books, or I would start maybe with, like, Asking a question. When you ask a question of a child, first of all, you get to hear what's in their head. We don't really know what's in a child's head because they have millions of thoughts. They don't always share them with us. And also, often I would talk to my kid without getting a response. And I wouldn't know. Often your child knows a lot more than you think. Yes. And I wouldn't know (laughs) until weeks, months, even years later when he would say something. And I'd be like, he did listen. He was listening this entire time. Um, telling your children that you are gay is a very personal choice, and it also every child will react differently. I think the fact that you know owning it and saying this is who I am and this is someone that's special to me, and I would love for you to meet them, starting out really small, spending time with them. It's interesting um, because it feels like this is a particular issue to having grown up in an orthodox in, in, a, in a traditional community it doesn't have to be an orthodox jewish community it could be a tradition it could be a jehovah's witness community or a mormon community that that doesn't accept uh, gay life because in other situations you'd probably you know there'd be a coming out before and then you're maybe already raising a child in an alternative structure whereas this idea that you might be married and have kids in a quote-unquote traditional structure and then come out to me seems like a probably more common in traditional uh religious communities rachel before i want to get some other other questions do you do you have any insight into this as to this this listener's question about how to share with your your child that you are gay and now living with someone of the same sex i think shandy rocked it I have nothing to add to that. That was excellent. <laughs> I feel very flattered. <laughs> Jake, I'm getting a little nervous together with your insight and your radio voice. <laughs> I'm ready to take a sabbatical. So, Esther, uh, there, a listener uh, writes, and uh, uh, Jude from Brooklyn writes uh, that he has a story to share. Um, he wanted to bring his girlfriend to his family. Wait a minute. Am I getting this right? I, is Jude, uh, I'm sorry. Pardon me, Jude. Jude is a woman. Um, so let's let's go back for a moment. <laughs> she says she grew up from 
and is now non-religious and dating an amazing girl. She just wants to say thank you to all of us for speaking about this topic. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jude, and apologies for not getting your gender right or your cisgender right. Yeah, it needs to be po- spoken about, she says. Um, but then she says she has a story to share. Uh, she says she wanted to bring her girlfriend to her family Hanukkah party. And one of her brothers-in-law said that God does, didn't want her there and that she couldn't be around the kids. Um, she then spoke to three rabbis, I guess, to get guidance on this. And this is, this is in fact what they, what they said. Uh, this stuff is heartbreaking. First of all, Esther, does that resonate with you, your lived experience? Um, not in the rhetoric, but the experience, yes. I have not yet been able to bring my partner home to my family. And usually, usually a lot of it has to do with the children around. Um, that there's this protective bubble being put around children where we can't expose them to that. Right. You're going to corrupt the children. Yeah. So it's less, so it's less, and maybe that's a kinder way of going about it, honestly, because this story is heartbreaking, like to talk about how, you know, to bring God into it, to bring like this, this evilness to it is, is very heartbreaking. But the lived experience, I think, is the same of still not being able to show up. With yeah, it's very frustrating when people it's invoke so God arrogant. For those arguments. Sorry, Rachel. I mean, I, I hear so much arrogance in that. Like, how are you speaking on God's behalf? That's first. And second, are you really going to isolate somebody from participating in their religious and Jewish experience over your arrogance and yeah. your fear? I see it as, yeah, it's fear, right. not arrogance, more fear-like. They're afraid. Well, I mean, it's both, right? Because this person literally said, God doesn't want you here. Um, did God I have a direct line. To right. you, <laughs> God's spokesperson. I didn't know you were a prophet, brother-in-law. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, we're going to run up on time. A question for you. There's a listener, uh, Rick uh, from Austin, Texas, who um, is non-Jewish. He's Catholic. And he wants to know if um, if you think it's easier for Jews to be LGBTQ than other faiths. Uh, I, I think particularly as it relates based on some other comments that he's made here in terms of like very religious, you know, very observant sects or groups within those faiths. Because uh, we've been talking about the struggles of being uh, queer and lesbian in the, in the Orthodox yeah. Jewish community, but these are not, these are not a particular, it's not a struggle that's just particular Jewish community. What do you think, Rachel, based on your therapeutic knowledge? Yeah, you know, I think it's challenging in every dynamic that is not accepting um, to various degrees. On one hand, we also are highly emphasizing Jews in the exile, um, right, as opposed to, like, Jewish people living in Israel and having, you know, relationships with a diverse group of Jews um, with diverse thought on orthodoxy and Judaism. So, so within that, I think that, like, difficulty is a subjective experience, right? Like for some people, the same experience is going to be extremely challenging. And for others, like the literal same experience will be worth it and not nearly as difficult. Um, And so I can't really speak to the difficulty, but I do recognize that Catholicism um, brings its own element of challenge. And, you know, your relationship with God belongs to you. That's that's Amen. my my only take Amen. from everything that I've ever learned and done. Let's, and let's, if you want a relationship with God, you just do it. Let's take that last comment you made, Rachel, and, and and end as we often do in this program with a little bit of compassion, as hard as it is sometimes for the quote unquote the other side or a different point of view. And Esther, I'm sure, sure along the journey you've been judged. You're married to a woman. You've came from an Orthodox background. I'm sure you've not always been loved or seen loved or seen. To finish us off. Um, here, we just have like 30, 40 seconds on, on a compassionate tone as to kind of speaking to the person that might have that point of view and understanding where they're coming from for a moment. What do you, what do you tell that person with love in your heart that's, that's judging you? Honestly, I actually, I really understand it because that's where I come from. And if I didn't have my own personal experience that led me to live the life that I'm living, I would probably be that person because that is, that is the community. That's the tradition. That's the rhetoric. That's what you grow up with a deep, deep belief in, you know, and beliefs are really, really deep in you. And so if that person now we literally have 10, 15 seconds. If that person is listening yeah. right now, what do you tell them to un- unbreak that bond 
that there's probably someone in their life that they love very, very deeply that is going through a different experience than them. And that being able to share those experiences together can uh, open them both up a little bit. Amen. Yeah. Esther Eckhouse, Shindy Weichman, Rachel Klajewski, thanks for being on Equal Footing. Thank Catch you. you soon. Thank you. Thank you.